you have to give ESPN and Penn credit that they are being forward and responding to this in a very proactive way. I can't come up with another outlet that has proactively said, we're not going to have Pat McAfee and the like that are up on stage talking about betting while they're on set on a college campus. They've put a lot of thought into things that have previously gotten them in trouble in the first place. Greetings, everybody. It's the latest edition of the Gaming News Canada show presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt LLP. I'm your back-and-full voice host, Steve McAllister. As usual, there's so much to talk about this week with our regular guests, Amanda Brewer and Phil Gray. We're hoping Nick Salski is going to join us at some point over the hour. And later in the show, SBC Editor-in-Chief Jessica Wellman will update us on what's happening south of the border in the sports betting industry of course, the launch of ESPN Bet on Tuesday afternoon being uh, being the biggest story in the U.S. of A. this week. Uh, before we start, we, we do have some sad news to, to share with our audience. The father of Parlay Media Group founder and CEO, Mark Silver, passed away last weekend. Mark isn't with us today as he observes uh, Shiva with his family. We do send our condolences to Mark, his mother, Debbie, his sister, Lisa, I want to start the show today with uh, with the lead item in, in the Thursday newsletter, and and that was the appearance by Amanda Nick and, and Scott Woodgate from BetMGM at the Primetime Sports Management Conference and Trade Show on on Tuesday afternoon. And uh, Amanda, it was a it was a again a really good information session. I, I do I do hope I know at the end there went, there was a conversation and some discussion and de- and debate, uh, but I do want to say off the top that. For anybody in the in the room at the Harbor Castle Hotel who doesn't know uh, a lot about the regulated sports betting and iGaming industry, um, the information and insight that you and Nick and, and Scott provided uh, was was really uh, really useful, and, and, I, and I do hope the people in the room got uh, got something out of it. Uh, we had a bit of fun the newsletter this morning. Uh, you know, Brian Burke and and uh, as, as Phil mentioned before we started the show, it's uh, Brian's uh, Brian's not shy about letting his opinions know. And Brian had also mentioned in a panel on player wellness and safety before uh, in the morning in the morning before our panel uh, just talked about the fact that you know quote gambling scares the shit out of him and. Uh, I think, uh, man, it's fair to say, you know, Brian made it clear that that a regulated industry is is, a, is better than a non-regulated industry. But just the whole idea that, that sports betting, uh, in his words, is so accessible now is a is a red red flag for him, um, and that's something that a couple of other people in the room made made clear as well. But I mean, I'll maybe just start with you, just the general thoughts on the panel and and that and that conversation with Brian at the end of it. Yeah, I thought, you know, this was probably one of the stronger panels because we had two um, operators, you know, with really recognizable uh, brands on the panel alongside you and I. Uh, So it means we're doing something right, Steve, if we keep getting invited back every year. Um, I thought that the questions you asked really allowed for a really good general sort of introduction or description of Ontario's iGaming market. Um, that audience is not, it's not like speaking at the Canadian Gaming Summit or G2E or ICE or any of the SBC uh, conferences where everyone in the audience is in the industry. These are sports people. They're, they work um, across all kinds of different um, sports verticals, but they're sports. They're not sports betting. They're not gambling. They're pure sports. So 
Um, I thought the way you structured the panel is great because the one thing that we've talked about and that, you know, conferences like this continue to emphasize is that there is an ongoing need for education about what a regulated industry is, what safeguards it provides, and why it is always better to have this kind of activity regulated than not. So I thought from that perspective, um, it was a great panel and a really great discussion. I thought Brian's comments weren't um, anything that I found too alarming. I think the thing that, you know, he was very worried about is the ease of access or the fact that because of the advertising, we are now going to be making, um, you know, access to, to, to gambling uh, more available or that people will now be more aware that there is gambling in the province. So, you know, to that, there are kind of two main rebuttals. The first is there's, there's been, you know, sports betting or online gambling in this province for decades and decades. The only thing that changed when regulation came was one regulation and two advertising because before it was .NET advertising and nobody was really paying a lot of attention to it because it wasn't that great and there wasn't that much of it. The second thing too is, and it was a point that I tried to introduce early in the panel is with the regulated market, you get things like KYC, which means that Miners are not able to open accounts, which means that people who shouldn't be opening accounts are not opening accounts. And I tried to kind of at a high level, give a bit of a, uh, an, a, you know, a glimmer into what operators are doing when someone named Steve McAllister types in all his information and presses send to create an account, what's happening on the back end, like all the different steps that they're taking to verify identity, verify employment, making sure that, you know, what you're saying is your job is actually your job and what you're saying is kind of your salary can fund the money you're putting into your account. And then all the monitoring they're doing as you begin to play on that operator's website, whether it's through sports spending or casino gaming. So, you know, I think to, you know, going back to, one thing that has never really happened since the market launched was explaining the difference between a licensed operator and an unlicensed one and what the benefits of a, a regulated market now bring to people in Ontario. And it is a thousand percent those safeguards that are now verifiable because before in the gray market, they might've been there. They might not have been there. You had no way of knowing because there was no standard that compelled operators to offer them. I know for a fact that the KYC, what I was just talking about, the know your customer, a lot of operators didn't bother with when you're creating an account. They do some of that when you were trying to take money out of your account at the back end, but never when you're creating your account. So that was a bit of a long-winded ranging answer, but I think you know it was it was a good conversation and the questions that came at the end are questions I've heard a lot, but as long as we can keep you know beating the drum for the benefits and the player protections that come with the regulated market, you know, I think we're doing our bit to try to make people a little bit more educated on on what this market is. And it's it's really not, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah coming into town trying to corrupt miners and, you know, lure away vulnerable people and, and, and you know, make sure that, you know, we're, we're, we're behaving in the worst way possible. So I appreciate the opportunities to talk about it when we can. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, Nick, on the KYC issue, I mean, Nick made it very clear uh, at the end of the, the hour about, uh, you know, if you're if you're under the age of 19, you you cannot bet with the regulated Ontario operators. It's uh, 
impossible to do that unless that person is getting access to their parents credit card or their their, their parents is signing up that account on, on their behalf and then and then allowing them to to use their their credit card information or i guess other banking information um uh, nick Salski, the chief commercial officer of points but canada joins us now and and Nick, just having had a chance, you know, to have 36 hours or so after the panel, any any thoughts on on our, on our discussion on Tuesday afternoon? Hey, well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Steve. Amanda, uh, great to hear you again. Um, more more thoughts on the panel, man. Like um, this is the thing that, that that really struck me. And, and Steve, we were kind of talking about this after the fact, you know, as you guys alluded to. And I'm sorry that I wasn't able to, to jump in at the beginning. The, you know, I think the conversation that Amanda and Scott and, and and you and I had, I think, was was really great. And I think we did a I think we 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 did a, a really good job um, helping to educate an audience that may not be as familiar with the iGaming landscape and as in Ontario, as I mean, the listeners of the podcast uh, surely are at this point. Um, but the, the questions that came at the end were were very. I think they were very short-sighted and I think they were very one-sided. Um, you know, the, the, the analogy or the, the example that I keep thinking about in my head as one of the, the questions sparked a much broader conversation around the, the, the pseudo or quote unquote evils of, of gambling advertising and how it's, how it is prompting a deterioration of youth and how the youth are, are much more, um, open to gambling problems now. Um, and they were tying it specifically to hockey and, you know, hockey night in Canada was something that was discussed. Now, you know, the, the, the analogy or the example that I keep thinking about is, you know, if you're, if you're at a party, um, with your, with your teenager, with your 15, 16 year old kid, or let's say 17 year old kid, and you give your 17 year old a beer now is, is that Molson's fault that the that the seventeen year old wanted to have that beer and is having a beer, or is it the parents' responsibility? Right, just because there's a gambling advertisement on television, um, it doesn't mean that the gambling operators are responsible for young people gambling or being more prone to gambling. At the end of the day, you can't take parental responsibility out of the equation in a landscape that is regulated now to your point and to Amanda's point earlier, where a minor cannot play on a regulated site. So I think that we've done a really good job as an industry um, internally talking about the benefits of regulation. But I think it, it what that conference showed me is it some of our internal echo chamber conversations have not necessarily percolated to the masses. Um, you know, the one thing that I will give Brian Burke credit for after, uh, no pun intended, dropping the gloves with us live in that, in that, uh, in that conference room was I, I, I at least um, are, I, I'm happy that he acknowledged his hypocrisy of shining a negative light on an industry that is literally putting money in his pocket alongside his media colleagues. So I was glad that he at least addressed that hypocrisy. But ultimately, um, as far as the takeaways go, Steve, I think that's what really shines a light. That, that was what really was you know, started to become clear is 
I think we all understand the benefits of the regulated industry, but I, I think that a lot of the folks that in the general population and the general public still don't really understand the benefits of what regulation actually brings. And just yeah, to a- jump on what, what Nick was just saying, it's also <clears throat> why at the end of that panel, I thought it was really important given the audience to say like, you know, I listed off five different touch points before a gambling ad, a sports betting ad even makes it onto broadcast, right? So look at all the different people between the player and the agent and the operator and, you know, the league. And then, you know, finally the broadcaster, there's the five, I think I mentioned, there's possibly six or seven um, that have to kind of all come into this, you know, into agreement that this is something that they all want to do together. Um, And, you know, as Nick said, like, you can't ignore the money. I think, Nick, you raised the point that coming out of COVID, this industry was a bit of a, a, a lifesaver to our, you know, beleaguered advertising industry and, and the broadcast advertising industry. Like this, this industry launching coming out of COVID was an absolute lifeline that got tossed to them. So I do understand it from an economic perspective, but it's just, you can't just point the finger at the industry. There are a lot of other stakeholders who had to come to the table to get that ad made. And they all have a joint responsibility in figuring out how we move forward from from this point on. Because as everyone said on that panel, you know, we're here to have a responsible industry first and foremost, but also a sustainable industry. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. Uh, 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 go ahead, Phil. Go ahead, Steve. No, yeah, go ahead, just, Phil. just go ahead. yeah, just a few thoughts. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I wasn't there, but certainly, you know, I, I like that word hypocrisy. Um, and it, it goes to right now where they're going to ban athlete ads or celebrity ads, but you're still going to have ads. So your 14-year-old is still going to see a gambling site being on Hockey Night in Canada uh, advertising, I guess, for now, um, without a celebrity athlete, but you're still going to see the ad. So I don't understand, you know, this the notion that banning celebrities or, or athletes is going to deter a child from from wanting to be a gambler and going to the major leagues, you know, all four of them and their stance on gaming. I mean, I, I was around, you know, when the, the four commissioners went before Congress and, you know, basically declared, you know, gaming, gambling was going to be, you know, the scourge of their leagues and threaten the integrity. Um, they hadn't figured out a way yet to make money off it. And when they did, they certainly embraced it. Did they not in the last year and a half, two years? I mean, they were ready to take any money they could. And now to point a finger, you know, sometimes uh, and say that um, books, you know, are irresponsible and and, uh, and don't have our, you know, our, our checkpoints in place. Well, I mean, I can speak for most of the reputable books, reputable books, old time books from Europe and that, that are now operating in the United States and Canada. Those those KYCs and, and, and things have, have both that deposit and sign up have been in place at most of the books for the last decade. So I think it's kind of, you know, uh, maybe incumbent on us to let them know that, that, you know, this is nothing new to us. Um, we've been responsible for a long time. Yeah, Amanda, I, th- I think it, uh, we may have talked about this uh, outside of the, the panel, but uh, it kind of reminds me of the days of, of my days as a, as a sports editor and, and when our people went to the Olympics and, and um, all of a sudden Nick Salski would win a gold medal and somebody had written a story about Nick six months ago and I would tell tell a reporter, a columnist, we, we need to write Nick Salski's life story because he just won a gold medal today at the Olympics and 
the answer more often than not would be, well, I, I wrote about next six months ago. And the answer back would be, well, we didn't, you know, nobody cared about Nick Solsky six months ago, but the, now they want to know everything they can about Nick Solsky. And I think, Amanda, you may have made the point where, you know, different stakeholders in the industry, and, and that includes the AGCO and iGaming Ontario, um, probably haven't been proactive enough in, in educating the greater, you know, people beyond the industry about about regulated gambling. And again, I think I think these panels are always helpful because we are speaking to outsiders and maybe maybe uh, uh, a light bulb does go off that we, we do need to give uh, not uh, we, we do need to provide more more education about the industry. Yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, if you keep, talk to Paul Burns, he's kind of laid at the feet of iGaming Ontario, because if you go on the iGo's website, that's where you can, if you're a player, you can go and search for regulated um, unlicensed operators. I, I don't know who knows that that's, that information is sitting there. Um, so it, it's, you know, that's kind of where Paul would kind of sort of say, you know, he had wished that ahead of the market opening, you know, for six months, first year of the market opening, there'd just been more education coming out from the iGaming Ontario side of it. Um, but I think, you know, for for the for the amount of attention that is now being paid to the industry, and you know, as I said, we we are very aware that there's a perception problem when it comes to the industry and the advertising, even though you can you can sit there and show them in black and white that this industry isn't advertising more than any other industry. In fact, we might be a little bit less than most other industries. Um, that there is still a very large percentage of the population that just still does not like this activity. And I understand that it's something you know, especially those of us working in this industry for a long time have been dealing with for a very long time. So in addition to talking about the benefits of regulation, I think the other really important thing to talk about because of the heightened attention on the advertising, and this is something I know that Nick and I really hammered, tried to hammer home on the panel, is that not a single operator in the almost two years this market has been open has been fined for deliberately targeting minors with their advertising. And the changes the AGCO is proposing isn't because operators were being fined or on the verge of being fined for anything like that. So it's really the ongoing effort to make sure that this industry is behaving in a way that is responsible and that maybe there's some clarification now that the industry has been open for a year, advertising has been running for over a year. You know, there's some clarification that can now happen with some of the regulations around who who can say what and who can appear when and, and all the rest of it. But I think it, it's also very, very important that people realize, even as, you know, we're making headlines because of the advertising, that there is not a single operator that targets minors and there is not a single operator that's been fined for that. So this is really an exercise in just trying to, you know, mature the industry a little bit in terms of its advertising. Well, and, and if I, and see, if you don't mind, I'd just like to add just two, two quick things. I mean, I think the first thing is, I mean, let's face it, media generally from a macro perspective, love clicks, Right. Negativity, negativity drives more clicks than positivity. We see a lot of these, a lot of these articles, a lot of these opinion pieces talking about the, the evils of gambling advertising. We how many articles have I seen that has that has shined, shown, shined 
I'll let you determine which <laughs> word is appropriate. Steve, you're the writer. Um, the light on the fact that the regulated iGaming industry in Ontario has generated a quarter of a billion dollars in money for the provincial coffers. That's over. That's that's a quarter of a billion dollars that didn't exist before the regulated market for the province. Now, that is a very big positive. And at the end of the day, the other piece that I tried to articulate to the, the, the three amigos of negativity from the conference on Tuesday was that taking gambling or, or limiting or prohibiting or whatever gambling advertising is not going to stop the, 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 the gambling, the, the use of, of gambling um, content that's used to engage an audience. You cannot watch a professional sporting event on live broadcast today without hearing commentators, analysts, reporters, whomever, pre-game, in-game, post-game, talking about who they think's going to win, what the odds are on the game, what's the over-under. It's simply impossible to shine an omni-focused light on the evils of advertising when at the end of the day, gambling not only has existed for thousands of years, right? <laughs> well, yeah, probably thousands of years. But when you're watching live sports, which is the key engagement tool of our entire industry, gambling is a part of it. It has been before regulation and it will be after. So just focusing on one very specific element does not tackle whatever problem you think there is in targeting minors as an example. So I just wanted to throw those two things onto the table as well, before I have to respectfully step away in like five or six minutes. No, thanks, Nick. I'll, I'll, to your point about the uh, quarter of a billion dollars in, in tax revenue for the government as well, I'll, I'll suggest that the provincial government um, has failed in, in terms of helping the industry by uh, letting the public know what's being done with that money. And I, I, I really believe that uh, we do know in certain states in the U.S. that, that those those uh, state governments are quite public about how that those funds are being used. And at a time when mental health is is top of mind uh, as, a, as a problem, not, not only in this province, but uh, obviously across the rest of the country and, and beyond, um, that steering that money, that tax revenue towards mental health and wellness programs uh, would be, uh, you know, would, 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 again, shine a bit of a, a positive light on the industry. Um, I, I do want to mention, get back just quickly to Amanda's comment earlier about, about the layers when an, ad, uh, when an ad goes there and how many different stakeholders are involved. And um, we, we, we had a couple of pieces that we highlighted in the newsletter this week and for our paid subscribers in the On the Homefront section. One was a, a column by uh, Gord Stelic, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs former general manager and, and media personality now, uh, who wrote an op-ed in the Toronto Star on Sunday about the mixed messaging with the NHL um, addressing the sponsorships with sports books and then the Shane Pinnell 41 game suspension. And then Jeff Sacodney had a piece in, in, on covers.com yesterday uh, from, from the Grey Cup in Hamilton this week and, and talking to uh, players and coaches with both the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Montreal Alouettes. And it just feels to me, and again, I'm, I'm not insensitive to, to addiction and, and, um, and, and problem gambling. I know it's a very serious issue, but Nick, I'll maybe start with you before we lose you. But 
is there not some accountability on an athlete or an athlete's parents or an athlete's agents or, an, or the team that an athlete plays for or the league that the athlete plays in that if you're in, playing in the NHL, the gambling policy is real simple. If you bet on an NHL game, you're in trouble. You can't do that. Um, the NHL policy is actually beyond that. It's fairly flexible. Um, NHL players can bet on U.S. college football or NBA games or, or NFL NFL games. But to me, there's nothing complicated about the message. And that's essentially what the CFL players were telling Jeff yesterday, is that we, we, know, we know the league has a policy. We can't bet on CFL games. We don't bet on CFL games. Is it, is it not that simple? Um, yes. But, it, it, but I think that the complexity lay in exactly what you, what you also um, kind of threw down, which is it's not, it's not just the responsibility of an athlete to know the rules. Right. There are education and we were talking about this on Tuesday as well. Education is so vital for for leagues, for teams, um, for parents. Um, you know, there are companies like U.S. Integrity and Sport Radar um, also has an integrity uh, monitoring service that 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 works with leagues to um, help educate and enforce um, guidelines. Um, you know, I think that. Every case is is also different, right? I think that the the issue that 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 we've talked about that that I've had with the Pinto situation is we don't actually know what happened. There has been no confirmation. Um, so ultimately, there's a lot of speculation as to what happened. But you know, I think that it behooves everybody that is that exists within the, the sphere of influence around a professional athlete to make sure that that professional athlete understands the rules, especially if there's a sense that that athlete enjoys gambling. Right. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, 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 it, again, it's existed for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So it's human nature. Right. Um, but I think it's not just, it, 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 it takes a village to raise a kid, right? Well, maybe it takes a village to raise um, a, a sophisticated and respectable professional athlete. And it's not just gambling; it's 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 speeding, right? It's drunk. It's drunk driving. It's domestic violence. There's so many. There's so many things that impact. I mean, everybody in society, professional athletes are in the spotlight, right? So I think that education is is be, becomes paramount right i think that's where we all as an industry um has to put a focus and when i say industry it does include the leagues the teams and and i would go all the way down to the parents right so that's i think i think you're you're right steve yeah, i think yeah. nick, 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 nick makes a great point there i mean just i mean common sense i mean steve these guys are adults and they're professional athletes are getting paid a lot of money you have to i mean how could you not know that, you know, gambling on your sport, even gambling in general is going to bring a negative light on you if you like to gamble? Sure. But I I, I go back to, you know, let, let's look at the books and, and responsible gaming. I mean, anytime you try to sign up at a site, I mean, certainly the site that I used to work for and tons that I know, your name is Googled right away. So, you know, if somebody, Shay Pinto came, came, you know, gets Google, oh, he's an NHL player. Sorry, you know, we're, we're not going to let you sign up. I mean, I know almost any book would do that. So it just it kind of, boy, it, 
it befuddles me a little bit. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada Show is presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt, LLP. Osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit osler.com gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R dot forward slash gaming. Hey there, sports fans. Are you looking for fresh and fun takes on the hottest topics in Canadian sports? Well, we've got just what you need. Introducing Homestand Sports Today, your go-to daily sports newsletter, bringing you the Canadian angle on the hottest NHL, NBA, footy stories, and more right to your inbox. But wait, there's more. Homestand Sports isn't just another text-heavy newsletter. Every story has its own video featuring our talented hosts like me, Albert Vartanian, giving you a newsletter experience like never before. And did I mention it's a free subscription? Subscribe now at homestand.ca. Now back to the show. Tony Luchasano put up his hand, and, and Tony, you, you have a, a comment or a question? Yeah. Uh, hi, guys. Thanks for having me on again. I just want to know, you know, you, I understand what you guys were talking about and what Nick was talking about. You know, it's, you're an adult. You should be able to do it on your own, whether it's on TV, whether it's on, on Internet, wherever it is. There's got to be something. Someone has to take the lead in terms of educating. I don't know if it's the leagues that are going to be doing it. I don't know if it's the sports books that are doing it. You guys may be able to help me on that one because I haven't seen a lot of it. And someone's got to take responsibility at the end of the day. Well, I think the sports books have done it. I mean, there's a, like I say, there's a number of safeguards in place for, for you know, instances like that. When you sign up at a site, your name gets Googled right away. You're going to come up as a professional athlete. And I have an example from a number of years ago when the Briar was happening out west at one point. We had a couple of curlers try and sign up at our site. Right. We we would, they couldn't even get in the door right away. I mean, their names were Google. Oh, we know who you are. No, sorry, you, you can't play with us. I'm, I mean, okay, but there was there was a case though last week with that. You know, the, I mean, obviously. Points bet was fine, one hundred fifty thousand dollars, which was not good. But the guy ended up spending five hundred thousand dollars, and he got you know. And, well, and that, that, that that that's a completely different um, argument. I know, but I'm just that's saying scenario like, that's going to come up that that is going to come up. But that that that's completely different. Yeah. Okay, but I'm just saying there are going to be situations where people are going to you know start blaming somebody for well, not you know flat, for flagging it down, or kids are going to go on, and you know there's no. Well, you're absolutely going to see it. You're right, Tony, because because now um now um and that's because of the regulated industry. Now people do have someone to go to, uh, whereas whereas they didn't before. You know, good. Um, All right. Why, why did a book let me lose five hundred thousand uh, dollars? You know, they can now go to somebody and, sit and and look for an explanation, even though it may have been you know their own doing. Uh, the book may have played a part in it. Maybe they didn't. Um, yeah. Again, that's a different argument that will come up. Amanda, do you want to add to that? Uh, I think, you know, from the, the sports side of things, I know the International Betting and Integrity Association has had discussions with the Canadian Centre for Ethics and Sports. So one side of that is certainly the, you know, the amateur and professional athletes across Canada who need to have some training because they get into things like match fixing and match manipulation. So there's that side of it. In terms of the average person, I mean, I I, I agree, Tony, there hasn't been a great 
deal of public education that has, you know, been done to, like I said, tell people what a licensed operator means and what, you know, services and safeguards and player protections are provided by a licensed operator and how a licensed operator is different from an unlicensed operator. Because, you know, despite all the efforts in Ontario, there are still unregulated black market you know, black market activity going on in, in the province. Um, and I think the other thing too is, you know, where can people go to get resources? So just to educate themselves on what the industry is and what happens if they notice that they're having problems. Now, every operator should be monitoring every single, you know, act activity that a customer does. Um, speaking from my kindred perspective, when I was still working with them, you know, there's AI that is deployed behind the scenes and based on certain behaviors from customers, alerts pop up. There are triggers that, you know, trigger alerts that the customer service representative can then step in um, and take a look at the situation. And then, you know, different things can happen. Um, but, you know, the RGC has information and I know the Responsible Gambling Council has has been very active in this. But I think it's it's one of the shortcomings that there's not one place where people could go to to find information. So hopefully it's something that is it's getting worked on now. No, I, I agree. It's just a, like I look at companies like CAMH that have a problem gaming. My wife works at CAMH and prob I know that one of her best friends works in problem gaming and there's there are avenues that people can use out there. And I think that needs to be, again, it has to be brought out to the public and there has to be somebody who's, you know, who's gonna, whether it's a league or whether it's the, um, whether it's the books that team up with people like Problem Gaming and, and do some uh, do some commercials out there to, to get their the messaging across. Hey, Lou, it's great, uh, great stuff. I, I, I do wanna get Jessica Wellman from SBC News in here uh, very shortly, but Amanda, last question for you. And I think it, I did want to uh, bring up on this show the, the Canadian Gaming Association uh, uh, Player Health and Wellbeing Symposium on de December 5th. And actually the, the CGA is having events over two of those days. Maybe you can just fill our audience in quickly about, uh, about the symposium. Yeah, so this is something that's been on the CJ's radar for a while. So you, um, if you work in this industry, especially if you're an operator, there has been talk before the market opened, opened of a province-wide self-exclusion program. So that's on the IGO side. Um, we still don't have one. And given the increased scrutiny the industry is facing because of the advertising uproar during the NHL playoff season last April, um, Paul has kicked this into high gear. Um, operators right now uh, have to submit their broadcast ads through Think TV for preclearance. And, you know, Think TV hasn't been shy about telling operators to make changes so that their ads are compliant. But there's nothing like that that exists for any other form of advertising, digital, uh, radio, print, nothing like that. So Paul has reached out to Ad Standards Canada. So Ad Standards Canada will be coming to talk about um, how they can help um, with that. Uh, the RGC will be there to walk participants through uh, an exercise they're going to do because um, Paul has asked them to help create a, a code of conduct for the industry. So it will be a code that, you know, operators, um, actually, I, I don't have all the details on how it will, it will, unfold but that operators would then sign on to you know to uphold as they're doing business uh in ontario 
Um, and Ipsos will be there to present more research. So it, it's all the start of what will be a very long-term initiative for the CGA. It's not going to be a one-and-done project. This is this is the launch of a very long-term project. The next day, um, probably not as sexy or interesting for anyone, it's the AGM. Uh, so it's their annual general meeting where they'll be um, electing new representatives to the board of directors. So that's that's the day two. Yep, and there is a link uh, in the Thursday newsletter for for people who want to register for that uh, for that December fifth fifth event. So you can find that the newsletter. Um, excellent. Thanks, uh, thanks, Luce, for hopping in. Um, we'll try to get uh, Jessica Wellman uh, to join us now, and Jessica's been patiently patiently waiting. But there's so much going on in the U.S. right now that we wanted to uh, want to get her back on back on the show. And while we're doing that. Um, Brant Feldman, uh, sports marketing agent. Brant, you got a, a quick comment or question? So I'll, I'll say this to you real quick. And by the way, I'm in Calgary and it snowed here last night. Very entertaining. Um, so the NFL PA has brought in former uh, a former Don boss, a guy named Michael Francis. And he ultimately meets with the players at the NFL Players Association meetings once a year. You could actually find his videos on YouTube. And he talks about how the mob has been influencing athletes um, in trying to get a hold of things. So as you guys were talking about different responsibilities, I would, I would almost say to you that the, that the league and the Players Association needs to bring people that ultimately can scare athletes straight on why they shouldn't be giving up any inside betting information or throw games or anything else because of how it affects the ecosystem. I've never heard anything like that um, lately in hockey and some other sports, but the NFLPA has been doing that now for probably six or seven years. Yeah, oh, thanks for that, Brandon. I'll just mention, we, when the penal suspension happened three weeks ago now, we, we dedicated the entire Tuesday newsletter to it. And one of the things we did was talk to both the NHL and the NHLPA, and and uh, they both talked about the education programs that are in place right now for for players around around gambling, and and uh, both the league and and the PA told me as well that those it's obvious that they they can do more in that area, and I know the PA did have some Zoom calls the week after the penal suspension was announced that that uh, provided a form to to educate the players further. So I think I think that. That is uh, that is um, an evolving situation, and also we had uh, uh, Mr. Raymond from uh, from the International Betting Integrity Association on the on the podcast a couple of weeks ago to talk about what uh, IB is doing, and there's another company based in Europe, Epic Risk Management. And to your point, Brent, they've they're employing former athletes who have been guilty of match fixing, and and they're sharing their stories with with their clients. So. I think that's we're going to see more and more of that type of information. Uh, I do want to welcome back to the show Jessica Wellman, the editor in chief of SBC News and also Canadian Gaming Business. Uh, Jessica, thanks so much for for being patient. Yeah, it's been interesting to get to sit and listen for a little bit. Hey Jessica, I just want to start just on the uh, obviously sports betting, advertising, and and the debate and discussion around it. It's just not unique to Canada, is there? Is there anything earth-shattering or anything new that's going on right now in terms of betting advertising? Are, are there certain states where you're seeing a lot of action around that? Right now, you're seeing North Carolina is in the process of promulgating and finalizing its regs. So it's looking at things. But 
I think we've reached a point where each state has generally agreed or chosen rather to have things like you cannot use risk-free language. You need to have certain limitations on how, how much you're promoting to a younger audience. Uh, these things that weren't in the first wave of sports betting regs, you've seen states kind of go back and retroactively add in. And I think going forward, they've kind of just become par for the course. And that's the accepted standard that we're going to see going forward. I guess the the big story of the week in in uh, in the U.S. Uh, Jess is the uh, is the launch of ESPN Bet and and um, you know a lot of fanfare leading up to to Tuesday's launch and then uh, saw an awful lot of tweets yesterday and and uh, looks like ESPN Bet had a very successful first twenty four hours looks like almost seven hundred thousand downloads of of the app uh, but but is that the major story right now in in your world? I think so. It's just getting to see, too, exactly how ESPN and Penn are interplaying in this whole thing. Um, For example, when you logged in, when I logged into the ESPN kind of regular app, I had a splash ad for ESPN bet. When I went to the ESPN fantasy site on my computer, I had multiple splash ads for ESPN bet. So we're seeing that kind of very overt marketing. But then I think it's been interesting so far to kind of watch ESPN and see just how much these integrations are, are coming into play so far. And, and Jess, I guess this might not be a fair question. I know, I know you're really busy and you're not spending 24 hours a day on the couch watching ESPN, but have you seen any, any integration so far the first couple of days? I haven't had a ton of time, but I will say yesterday I was having dinner in a bar and the what was previously called daily wager that has now been rebranded to i believe espn bet live was on and so they've had this kind of flagship betting show for several years now it's now been fully rebranded as espn bet and i took a screen a a quick shot of um the the first day's bets results were being shown on the screen and it showed who won. And if you would bet all of them, how many units you would be up or down that I was impressed to see that when it comes to picks and stuff, people who really talk about the ethical way to present picks and be a tout of sorts is to be transparent about your record. And it looks like they're trying to do that. Uh, I shared it on Twitter and had plenty of people though, suggesting that, uh, after a month or two, once these numbers get big into the negative, they'll be curious to see if that kind of tracking sticks around. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it, it was kind of, it was a, a bit funny last week too, just reading uh, ESPN did send a memo to their employees with, with their rules of engagement as, as it relates to sports betting. And, and also there was some reporting about uh, Adam Schefter and Adrian Wojnarowski, the, the NBA, NFL and NBA insiders respectively for ESPN not being allowed to bet, which, you know, seems to be to, to be a no, uh, a no brainer. But I think this is what happens just when you have a, a really big brand, like whether, you know, if, if, if whether it's Nike or, or Coca-Cola or, uh, you know, Ford uh, ESPN is a, is a massive, uh, massive brand. And I think that explains a lot of the hoopla around this. Yeah. And I think it explains too, a lot of the way that this, co-project between Penn is being approached in that, you know, it seems like uh, it's, it's 
kind of just all talk and no action to say, oh, you know, these guys are not allowed to talk to these guys, but maybe there aren't measures in place to ensure that that's happening. I can say, racking my brain, I can't come up with another outlet that has proactively said, hey, you know, we're the ringer and we have a partnership with FanDuel and here's some transparency about how people who work at the ringer interact with FanDuel. That you have to give ESPN and Penn credit that they are being forward and responding to this in a very proactive way. It was also interesting to see them bring their project to the Massachusetts Gaming Commission last week. Uh, you can tell they have had uh, lessons learned with their previous partner, Barstool, and they came in particularly around College Game Day, which, for those of you who are listening that may not know, is a program that travels from campus to campus each week during the college football season. And in between games, you're going back to this desk that college students kind of flock to. When I was in college, I went to College Game Day and brought my sign and you know partied and had fun. And they have rules around it that were really well thought out. You know, we're not going to have people on stage at this event speaking about betting. So Pat McAfee and the like that are up on stage, they're not talking about betting while they're on set on a college campus. Will they potentially record a segment in advance of the show? And on Saturday, we'll kind of see what it what it looks like and then have it as part of the broadcast, which is kind of collectively over the age of 21. Yes, that might happen. But they put a lot of thought into things that have previously gotten them in trouble in the first place. Uh, Jess, that's a great point about ESPN being so public and communicating about, you know, employees uh, um, betting, uh, et cetera. Amanda, I think that was something, you know, I don't remember reading a lot about the FanDuel TSN partnership when that was announced and, and TSN being that, uh, that uh, public about what what they were doing with their employees and and their talent although you know in fairness to both both the operator and and the network i mean all this was happening when market was being launched and it, it was a bit of a, a a crazy time with what was going on in ontario yeah agreed and just to say that we don't know about it doesn't mean it didn't happen you know yes. is the other thing but i think especially like you know with the agco putting the ban um, temporarily on, I believe it was UFC about a year ago, last November, um, over concerns about lack of lack of standards um, for that particular sport. Um, you know, I think this is something that going forward, uh, more and more um, sports leagues, you know, stakeholders will be paying attention to it and, and making sure that that happens because the further convergence that happens this is an industry where there's been a lot of m a activity over the last little while and will continue to do so and you'll see some you know i'm using air quotes non-traditional uh industries coming into this like tsn and fanatics um i think it will just you know strengthen the further education of employees who now find themselves working um, for sports betting or iGaming operators um, about what the, you know, the terms and conditions are now, because that's certainly a very different landscape than where they came from. Hey, Jess, on, on top of the ESPN bet launch, the other reason I really wanted to get you on, uh, get you back here this week with us is um, just what's going on in, in uh, Florida and California right now. And, and of course, any time that you and I run into each other at a conference uh, south of the border, um, there's always a lot of conversation about when when are Florida, California, and Texas gonna gonna have regulated uh, gambling industries. And uh, again, a few uh, thanks to SBC 
Sue Schneider for flagging this, but uh, there is a story in the newsletter this week for, for our paid subscribers in the stateside story section with uh, Dallas Mavericks owner uh, Mark Cuban. He's he's uh, blowing the horn loud now for, for regulated gaming in Texas. Um, can you maybe just bring our audience and listeners up to speed, Jess, on where, where things sit in Florida and California? Sure. And then just a quick note about Texas before anyone gets too excited. Uh, state legislatures have really re- weird rules. And one of Texas's weird rules is that the state legislature actually only meets in odd numbered years. So expect nothing in 2024 because they're not meeting. Uh, they're already kind of that's a conversation for 2025. In California, what's been really interesting is in order to expand gambling, you have to amend the Constitution, which usually are in this state involves a ballot referendum and you have to take it to the voters. As we saw in 2022, there were two sports betting propositions, 26 and 27. They both failed by actually historic measure um, and competed with one another. One was tribal, one was commercial. In anticipation of the next election in 2024 in that state, somebody has filed what they claimed was a tribal-focused sports betting bill, but turned out to just kind of be two guys who have worked with some tribes before through um, their interactive gaming company, but really had not had any conversations with the tribes whatsoever about what they were putting forth. And uh, this is a story that the more that you hear about this plan, the more it's kind of shocking we ever gave it any sort of credence. These guys essentially wanted to buy illegal offshore gambling operations, whitewash them, and then give them to tribes for them to operate as part of this, which, you know, for those who don't know, that's it's kind of a cockamamie plan. Um, so the California thing, I, I think, is a lot of interest because it's become kind of a funny, salacious story. But in terms of actual activity, I, I don't think it's going anywhere. One point to that, though, and Steve, I would say kind of interest because there are a couple of offshore books that have applied to uh, the Department of Justice and um, to pay a hefty fine and be able to enter the American gaming market as a regulated operator. So, it, yeah, that's very interesting that um, and that, you know, that some of the tribes um, have had that plan to, you know, have some books whitewash and come to them and operate them, but also um, the, the American legislatures in some states are in favor of that as, as long as they pay their fine to the Department of Justice. Uh, it's certainly possible. I, I can see it happening. I think, you know, the way that this was presented was not particularly, had no mention of the DOJ, wasn't particularly well thought out. Matthew Cradell at Play USA interviewed them and their explanation was, not particularly thorough. And yes, we also went in in the people on the move section of the newsletter. We we uh, mentioned Ricky Tannenbaum joining FanDuel as the new senior vice president of strategic partnerships, and and Ricky uh, is the former CEO of the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians. And uh, is that a bit of uh, you know I think DraftKings and FanDuel in particular took a lot of heat a year ago about what happened in California and, and a bit of a, a, a dog's breakfast when it came to trying to trying to bring regulated sports betting to, to that that state. Is is this a little bit of damage control on FanDuel's um, part and, and really part of a reset? I think it's an incredibly smart decision. Uh, certainly, California probably influenced that. If you look at the approach of what Prop 27 took, which was the commercial one, it just, you know, 
kind of claimed to be in interest of some tribes and not bigger tribes and uh, took a very adversarial tact to challenging tribal gaming interests in California. That obviously failed rather miserably that certainly they're reevaluating in California. But you, if you look beyond, too, at some of the states that are left, you mentioned like the big three of Texas, Florida, California, but looking at Oklahoma, looking at Minnesota, these are states where tribes will have a role to play. And I think it extends beyond just California to make a hire like that, to make sure that you are well positioned to succeed in some of these other states that are nearing potential legalization in the next couple of years. Hey, Jess, before we, uh, before we let you go, I think, think you were, you had a chance to listen to some of the conversation around the sports betting advertising issue here in Ontario and, and Canada. And I, I just wonder having listened to, to the thoughts from Amanda and, and uh, other members of the panel, is there, is there anything new going on with advertising? Do you, is there a story? I know the, Massachusetts gaming board has been fairly, fairly active when it comes to sports betting advertising. Anything, anything new from your end south of the border? Uh, I think the thing I'm interested in, and I'll hop back on uh, this never-ending Massachusetts call when I'm done with you guys, they aren't talking about it today, but ESPN Bet is an example where uh, an operator has taken an existing brand and tethered their sports book to it. And so Massachusetts regulators have taken a closer eye at that, and they're kind of concerned about the people on the screen making recommendations in a way that they haven't been about other operators. I don't know if other states really expressed the same kind of concern that, you know, if Scott Van Pelt is on ESPN telling you to bet something, is that a problematic situation for a consumer that maybe isn't aware that, you know, Scott Van Pelt doesn't leave the sports center desk and go help make lines. Um, What's interesting is I think it will then call into question a lot of things we're seeing that have been in existence in the market for a long time. The Ringer is a great example for Massachusetts because its founder, Bill Simmons, is a Massachusetts guy. He has the same game parlay in his name on FanDuel's app that has been in existence for some time. And at no point has Massachusetts had an issue with that. They didn't have an issue with barstool personalities having themed bets on their app. You have seen prior to the ESPN bet switchover that ESPN personalities were making picks on DraftKings and FanDuel and other things. So it's interesting to see that for some, there is sort of a different mindset when it's ESPN promoting ESPN bet. Uh, I I think there'll be the out outsiders on this one. I don't really think anybody else sees how much this is a a materially different situation than what we have already. But uh, Massachusetts has been first movers on lots of things. So it'll be something I'm keeping an eye on. Jessica Wellman is the editor-in-chief of SBC Americas, uh, also the editor-in-chief of Canadian Gaming Business. You can find her on Twitter at Jess, J-E-S-S, Wellman, W-E-L-M-A-N. Uh, a must follow on Twitter if you want to keep tabs on what's going on in, in the U.S. with the, the sports betting and gaming industry. Uh, Jess, it's uh, great getting you back with us uh, again on the show, and uh, and let's we'll get you certainly get you on before the end of the year. Yeah, sorry, I know we meant to talk Florida, and I I didn't, but no new real updates there. Hard Rock Bet is live and continues to be for at least 
the next week or so. Okay, great stuff. Thanks again, Jess. Thank you. Hey, we want to wrap up the show. I just got a couple minutes left. We want to get Phil Gray back on here and, and Luch is still with us. So he might have a thought here too, but um, Phil, we got, we do have the gray cup game on, on Sunday, a bit of a surprise with the Alouettes knocking off the Toronto Argos in the Eastern final last, uh, last weekend, but any, any advice you'd give the people who might want to lay a, a couple of bucks on, on the game Sunday in Hamilton? Oh, absolutely. Winnipeg open minus seven and a half up to eight and a half right now. And just a couple of days ago, the Alouettes were plus 240 on the money line. Right now, you can get a plus 310. Uh, I kind of, you know, everybody, you'd have to say uh, take the layman's approach and uh, Bombers are going to cover. But you know what? Uh, plus 310 right now on the Alouettes. If you wait till game day, I think at some sites, you're, you're probably going to get a plus 350. So, Steve... Why not throw some lunch money on the Alouettes? Uh, you never know. It uh, looks like a, a, a nice day in Hamilton. No snow. That, that's that's disappointing. It's always nice to see some snow at the Great Cup. Yes. But, uh, but, you know, hey, getting 3 bucks and 50 cents uh, for your dollar on the Alouettes on Sunday, you know, throw a C-note at it, Steve. You never know. That'll, that'll get you a, a new pair of uh, what, CCM tax. Are you still wearing your tax, Steve? Or- I've, I've got, I've got the new Bowers, Luch. I had uh, to get rid of my, mi- I had to get rid of my missions last, uh, the end of last season. Uh, I took a shot off the toe and <laughs> shattered my toe. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no, Luch- I, I, I like the Alouettes on the money line. Why, why not at that price and uh great cup. Uh, it should be a good game. I mean, hey, if the LOS can keep it close and uh, maybe pull one out, uh, that, that's a great that's a great payout on on a big game like that. Rare that you see a big spread like that on a championship game. Plus three fifty, I think you're going to get for the LOS on Sunday. Okay. Hey, Luch. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts on the CFL? Yes. Uh, yeah, I would uh, keep my lunch money. <laughs> <laughs> Luch, I'll give I'll give you a four to one on the Alouettes if you want to lay a C note. Well, here, here's the reality. Like I said, I, I think the CFL went downhill when the Rough Riders lost to the Rough Riders uh, back in the I don't know if it was the seventies or eighties, but I missed two Rough Rider teams in nine. Oh come on, great football! It's gonna be a great great yeah. cup. And I'll tell you what, here now, 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 all of, now all of a sudden I'm talking to Mike Richards again. Great. Here, you know, <laughs> I'm telling you, here in Montreal, the Grey Cup parties are popping up everywhere. It's oh, you should see great. them here in Toronto. It's great football to watch. Come uh, on. We'd rather, we'd rather watch no. uh, Indianapolis and uh, Houston. Come on. <laughs> I got, you know what? I do watch the. I, I will say, and I know it's not named after you, Phil, because it's it's spelled differently. But the Grey Cup is a great event that I do watch every year, and I was lucky enough when I was at TSN to attend a few of them myself. So, um, I three will days, go. Three days the half show. If I was still a bookmaker, Steve, I, I I'd be posting odds on first song and uh, and everything. But, uh, it's yeah, it's I'm tough to go against my boy Dave Bastel's team in Winnipeg, though. I'll be honest. <laughs> All right, well, let's, uh, let's say, I'll, take the, I'll give the points and take the bombers. Okay, thanks, thanks, Luce. That's great. All right, thanks, let's, guys, for having me on again. Great. Listen, we're going to cut it off there. Um, thanks so much, uh, Amanda Brewer, Nick Salsky, Phil Gray, Jessica Wellman, Tony Luchasano, Brant Feldman, um, everybody for joining us on the show this week. Thanks to all our, our listeners for, for hopping on here. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Um, please, uh, please enjoy the Grey Cup game on on Sunday if you if you if you are going to watch it. Um, we will produce the. We always, as always, we take we take these LinkedIn audio shows and and produce a podcast out of it. Uh, that 
podcast will drop on GamingNewsCanada.ca and the various podcast platforms either over the weekend or first thing Monday morning. Uh, stay safe, every everybody, this weekend, and we look forward to seeing you again in seven days' time. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at GamingNewsCanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.